0: Welcome to the Treat Your Business Podcast with Katie Bell. I am Katie, and this is the place to learn the strategies, tactics, tools, and mindset needed to build your clinical studio into a business that gives you the time, money, energy, and fulfillment you want and deserve. My team and I work every day with overwhelmed and exhausted clinic owners like you to shift them from a business that is a huge time and energy drain and is not giving them the income they want to confident clinic owners that are making money, saving money, and getting time back in their lives. So if this sounds like something you want, let's dive in. This podcast is sponsored by HMDG, the leading digital marketing agency for clinic owners in the UK. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Treat Your Business podcast. I'm your host, Katie Bell, and today we are going to be tackling a topic that's been buzzing in the industry, not just recently, but I think for for many, many years. I remember... Way back when, when I started my first, when I first started my clinic nine years ago, I had to make the big decision: was I going to rely on working with insurance companies, or was I going to just totally have private payers within the business? And even before that, working for somebody else in their private uh, physio practice, I remember having to work with medical legal patients and patients that had Aviva or AXA health insurance. So we're going to explore some of the reasons why physio clinics um, and other clinics have traditionally relied on insurance work. And it's often because the, the reimbursement system feels like a safe bet. It feels like we're going to get that steady income coming through, that consistent flow of patients. But having worked with many, many of the insurance companies over the years and working for somebody else and having to see those patients, is it really all it's cracked up to be? And this might be a little controversial, but I can't bear working with insurance companies. In our clinic, we work with, and this shows that I have to think about it because we barely work with any of them anymore. We work with AXA. We work with WPA. And we work with Westfield, which is a kind of local um, ins- health insurance. Which WPA and Westfield are great because the patient pays, and then they just get reimbursed. That's a win for me. We uh, pre-COVID, I think, now we got rid of Bupa, and we now just work with um, AXA as our as kind of one of the only ones, and on a very very small basis. So the insurance model definitely does have its merits, okay? It's, it is okay for the client. I still can't quite, in my head, reason some of the astronomical fees that people pay for private health insurance and what they actually get as a result of it, particularly when it comes to our physio services. But it does have its merits, especially in the beginning stages of owning a clinic. And I remember right at the beginning, I needed to make that decision. Having worked in private practice for five years... And being really dissatisfied when I was working with patients who were coming through medico-legal companies or using their own private health insurance. Because it just never allowed me to do a really great job. Now, it does guarantee a certain level of financial stability. And yes, it can attract a broad range of patients. So for a business owner in the new stages, it can definitely be a win. However, over time... Clinics find themselves just increasingly tangled in administrative red tape, payment delays and even really limited treatment options dictated by the insurers to us. So for lots of those reasons, I made the decision when I first opened my clinic nine years ago that we were not going to see any medico-legal contracts. And I remember back nine years ago thinking, am I just making this the craziest decision of my life because all these other clinics are doing it and the, the clinic that I used to work at used to have them and they must create uh, and drive incoming into the clinic but I remember spending hours on reports trying to navigate really crap online systems that you've got to use that weren't fit for purpose having to basically give your left kidney to get another six sessions authorized for the patient who's walked in with raging sciatica, who's had back pain for 25 years, who's got um, a shift in their lumbar spine, who is so fear-avoidant of any kind of movement, don't want to doesn't want to lift, has been living with on pain relief, and you get six sessions with BUPA to see them. And if you don't get them better in six sessions and you need to ask for more, which i would say that most good physios who are trying to get patients not just symptom free but back to functioning as a normal human being are going to need more than six sessions if you're doing your job properly booper then um they they then you're not seen as a great physio because you're having to request more treatment sessions so you kind of get punished it is the long and short of it so for all of those reasons i just thought i just don't want to have to rely on this i don't want to have to rely on the medico-legal world where we've got there's definitely people that are so genuine that have had the accidents and things happen that definitely need our help but the insurance companies are driving shorter shorter appointment times reducing our fees and really just not um They're not supporting the knowledge and the training and the time to become an expert in our field. And then saying to us that you can charge £27 for that half an hour. Um, And then you've got to write a report, which is going to probably take another 15 minutes. So it just becomes... A real bind and loads of administration, and I and, and then the billing aspect of it. I'm now on my soapbox. The billing aspect of it is just a complete and utter joke. And then the payment delays, and then the chasing up payments that haven't come through because you've not put the right number on, and all of these long, complicated reasons. So it's got its merits in the new in in beginning stages of of, of owning a clinic. I can see why business owners would want to do it because it's a safe bet. It, it possibly ensures some steady income. It possibly ensures some consistent flow of patients. However, I started my business deciding that wasn't going to be something that I was going to go down. We did. We worked with Bupa. Um, I Again, I had to give my left kidney to be uh, on their register. Um, have, and then we worked with Aviva and we worked with AXA. It's kind of like the main ones. I never worked with Nuffield because I can't, I couldn't bear their portal or their system or any of that faff. So we just decided to start the business nine years ago with the majority of our fees being earned from private payers. Okay, And that is the way it has continued to go. I guess another trap is the quality of care versus the insurance restrictions. So insurance-driven care, and and I want to be kind of... I guess I want to to say here that if you are listening to this and you do see insurance patients, I'm not saying that you don't do a great job. I'm sure you do a fabulous job. However, the conditions for delivery when we've got insurance patients in front of us are crap because most insurance companies don't allow us to see the patient for long enough or frequent enough to give them um, that that kind of personalized evidence based care. It inadvertently steers the focus away from those individual patient needs, doesn't it? And sometimes we can see that clinics might be compelled to prioritise treatments that are more likely to be covered rather than what's genuinely best for the patient's long term health. And quite often, I'm going to take the back pain um, scenario just just because that's in my mind and it's an easy example. But quite often in my clinic, we are a multidisciplinary clinic. We work together as a a cohort of experts to get the patient, not just pain-free, not just symptom-free, but get them functioning, get them doing all the things that they want to do in their life that pain has been stopping them from doing. Now, that doesn't mean we can only do on-the-bed physio stuff. It means that they might be coming into our classes. We might be doing some rehabilitation sessions with them. We might be doing some gym-based work with them. It can can be so broad. Now, quite a lot of times, that isn't what is covered by the insurance company. So is that genuinely what is best for the patient's long-term health? It compromises the core principle of physio, which is that personalised approach that's what we believe is really important in our clinic and we are evidence based practitioners limits on the number of sessions as i've said and having to give your blood to have another set of treatment authorized and then punished for not getting someone better with you know as i said raging sciatica in six sessions again just moves us away from really focused on you know we are not just we're not just good in our clinic we are great we want we are Trying to separate ourselves from the pack and say, you know, yeah, we we are going to have to treat your symptoms. Absolutely. But we're going to go much further than that in getting you back to living that optimum sort of pain free life. Financial implications. Now, there is a delicate balance. I get this. Some of you are going to be running clinics and a big proportion of your fees are going to be generated by insurance patients. You need to do your maths. You need to do the numbers. And you've listened to many of my podcasts, I'm sure, by now. You've come on some of our free masterclasses and I'm always talking about your numbers. But in a very simple terms, you have all of your revenue coming into, the, into your clinic, into your business. What proportion of that revenue is made up from insurance patients? And if, that, if those insurance patients are a big slice of the pie, we need to start thinking about how you can be less dependent on insurance companies and drive more private payers into your clinic. So when um, pre-COVID, we were thinking like Bupa was just doing my head in and I thought, well, we're just going to get rid of them. Now I can make quite quick decisions in the business Um, based on a feeling and I thought okay no I need to do the maths this is what I would tell everybody else to do so I looked at the proportion of our income coming from Bupa and when I realised it was three percent I literally just decided overnight it was going because it is not enough for me to even give it the time and the energy and the the billing and the time of all my admin staff to manage all of that so we just got rid of it and, we, and there was a way that we did that and, and I'll talk to you about that as we go on. But how much of your pie is made up of your insurance patients and of that pie, how is that then split into different companies? So you're very, very clear what percentage is coming from AXA, Bupa, Aviva, medico-legal companies. Now, some of those insurance companies, I don't know, I've never met them, but if you do have some of these that you work with, brilliant. If they are paying fees that are in line with what you would normally charge, great. If their payment terms are 30 days, great. If uh, their portals and the the, uh, paperwork is extremely quick and is not taking more of your clinician's time, but you're not able to charge any further fees for, Great. Okay. If that's not the case, you need to start thinking about if your income, twenty percent of it is derived from insurance patients, and that fee that, that total income is—I'm just going to make it up—five thousand in the month. If you then looked at if you started to replace those insurance patients with private payers, that income would probably be as much as eight to ten thousand. So this isn't always focusing on what we're going to lose but it's about what we are going to gain. And I really feel strongly that if all clinicians got behind this stance, that we are not prepared to work for such low fees and such disparity across what consultants can charge, what, um, what all of the other billing codes charge, and then you look at what we get as physios, or osteopaths, or chiropractors, or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's disgusting, frankly. So if, if all of us would take a stand and stop working with these insurance companies, something would have to change. And I decided for all of those reasons, we were out. We were just not going to go there anymore. Now, transitioning away from insurance work requires strategic planning, I get it. For some of you, it's going to be a big proportion of your income. So it's not about saying overnight, get rid. It's about looking long term of where you want to be in a year's time. So if your income is made up of 50% insurance, why not make a decision that in a year's time, you are going to replace 10% of that with private payers. So we've now got a 60-40 split. And then we go for a 70-30. And then we go for an 80-20. And that might be where you're happy. But we've got to explore alternative revenue streams. So offering specialised services, thinking about, I've said before, programmes and packages of treatment. And there will always be some initial challenges breaking free from insurance companies um, to give you that financial autonomy and that freedom to innovate in your business, which insurance companies do not allow you to do. True innovation often comes from a place of freedom. So... We want to translate this into how can we improve patient engagement? How can we improve our long-term success in the clinic? And that's going to be through reputation, through um, delivering not just an okay service because the conditions that we've got to deliver are so poor, but a fabulous service because we are autonomous practitioners and we are creating um, a way of working with people that gets them the results that they are looking for and they deserve, and and allows us to make the impact on the health and well health and wellness of our patients and our clients. So when we've not got these insurance companies that we're not spending hours trying to work out how the heck health code works and all of these um, ridiculous ways that we have to abide by, clinically you can invest more time in building those strong patient relationships. When we made the decision to leave Bupa, we wrote to all of our patients that use Bupa and we we were really open and honest. We were very vulnerable with it. And, and I thought, I'm not going to wrap this up. I'm just going to say how it exactly is. And we explained that we've had to make the very, very difficult decision to um, stop using Bupa. Um, and the and these are the reasons. And we talked about the fee structure. We talked about the, pa- the paperwork. We talked about... Um, what impact that was having on the results that we could offer our clients and why that didn't align with us as a business. And therefore, we weren't going to be using uh, them any any longer. Now, quite a lot of those patients just decided to pay privately to see us instead. So what actually happened is we didn't actually lose any income. We just gained engaged patients are going to adhere to their treatment plans it's going to give them better outcomes it's going to give you a better reputation in your clinic so have carefully plan it think about where you are now doesn't have to happen overnight and then think about the communication aspects of what clients you're going to want to communicate with look at your revenue your revenue streams what proportion is coming in from certain companies and make a decision as a business where you want to be in 12 months time inform your existing patients about the change and really emphasize the benefits of this kind of patient-centric care and expanded service offerings you're not doing this because you're going smaller and you're kind of honing in you're doing this to allow for expansion optimize your billing your payment systems to ensure that really smooth financial transition But when you've made that clear decision to move away from being dependent on insurance companies and I know it's not a light one to take, that strategic shift requires commitment. It requires you to just to really um, follow through with it. Make the decision, put the things in place and then watch your income grow. I hope you've enjoyed this slightly controversial um, podcast. But it's so important that you guys take control of your business. You should not be um, at the calling of all of these insurance companies. You should not be being paid £22, £25 for what is basically about 45 minutes of work by the time you've added in all of the complexities around working with the insurance companies. You're, you are way too qualified and way too good at what you do to be told that you can't charge the fees That we deserve so um, i really hope some of you come off this podcast and start going to look at your fees that you are earning from insurance companies and start making some really bold decisions stay tuned for our next episode next week where we're going to be diving into another aspect of running your clinic until then go and keep making a difference thanks for joining me thanks so much for listening to this show Remember, content consumption does not make changes. So commit to doing something from today's episode. Maybe it's taking action on what we talked about, or maybe it's reaching out to me and learning more about our transformational coaching programs. Or if you have not yet, join our free Treat Your Business Facebook group, a free access to over 30 business masterclasses. All of that is over at thrive-businesscoaching.com or linked in the show notes. And the last favor I will ask, because social proof is endlessly important is to leave a rating or review. I would love to know what you think of the show, how the show has been helpful for you. And I can't wait to chat with you. This is just the start of our conversation. Reach out so we can keep it going. Talk soon.